0: Well, how are you guys doing this morning? My name is Chandler, and because it is the 4th of July weekend, you are stuck with the youth pastor. So here we go. That's right. Yeah, you guys are ready to party. I like that, okay? It's not the 4th yet. I just didn't, you guys are a little excited, but um, I'll take it. I'll take the energy. So we have popsicles after service. I don't know if you already knew that. Maybe that's why you're so excited. Uh, I felt like being the youth pastor, it's only right that I provide you guys with popsicles. And it's also 4th of July, so we got some bomb pops. And... If this is terrible, at least you get a popsicle at the end of it, right? So here we go. A few years ago, I worked for a guy and he came in one day. We shared an office for a while. And so he comes down and he sits there. I say I shared an office, like I was important. I was just like an intern. So I just sat there while he came into his office. Uh, But he, he comes in and he sits down in a suit and he's just like, just, he's like so flustered. He's like, I can't believe that. And I'm like, hey dude, y'all right like what's going on here and he looks at me and he goes hey uh what's the most embarrassing thing and stupidest thing you've ever done and he goes you know what i was your, your youth pastor never mind um but he said i've got something to top that and he proceeded to tell me this story Now the church that I used to work at, they would have a pastor on call and we would get a lot of calls from people that would call about weddings or memorials or things like that. And so they would rotate the pastor on call and the different pastors on staff would get like two weeks out of the year. And if you were the pastor on call and if someone didn't already have a pastor in mind that they wanted to do their memorial or to do their wedding, then you would be the person who uh, would handle that service. And so this lady calls because her stepmom had just passed away. And so she asked, she said, hey, I need a pastor that's willing to do my stepmother's memorial. And so he's like, okay, I'm the pastor on call. I'm gonna do this. And now I I wanna take a note real quick and say that uh, I don't wanna make light of memorials or funerals in any way. Those are obviously very uh, honoring and important parts of that. So this story is not intended to do that, uh, but I promise you this story is going somewhere. So he is the pastor on call and wanting to do the best eulogy he can. He meets with this woman and he sits down with her and he says, tell me all about your mom. And so she begins to tell him all about his mom or all about her mom and and everything, the way she acted, the way she is, all this stuff. And so then a week later comes the memorial service and he's sitting there and he's up in front of this crowd of people, all of whom he's never met before. And he's talking all about this woman named Carol. And he's like, man, uh, Carol was just such an amazing woman, and um, it's just so sad that she doesn't get to be here with us anymore. Um, but we know how much she loved bowling and Hawaiian themed decorations, and how she had so many animals that she liked to take care of. And so he's weaving this kind of beautiful story together to make a point. And he's standing up there, and he's in the middle of the thing about 10 minutes in. And this older gentleman goes, You're talking about Carol? He goes, Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about Carol. He said, That's Louise." Now my, now the guy who used to work, my old boss, is like, you just like white, doesn't know what to do, is like, just still. And he's like, does anyone have anything they'd like to say about Luis? Hey, we'll open up the floor. Now he started quickly racking his brain after getting out of there as fast as he can of what went wrong. He was like, I don't understand. How did I do a memorial service for the wrong person? Like, I, I don't know, I mean, you guys have had embarrassing moments, but I just, I'm going to assume none of you have done a memorial service for the wrong person, right? I think I'm safe in assuming that. And he says, to, to this day, it's the most embarrassing thing he's ever done. So he's wracking his brain. He's like, what? What went wrong? And he realized that when he met with this woman, he said, tell me all about your mom. Now, their mom was named Carol. Their stepmom, who passed away, was Louise. Now, Louise had practically raised them, had been there almost their whole life, so my boss assumed when I ask you to tell me about your mom, you're going to tell me naturally about the person we're meeting about, correct? This woman did not assume that. Instead, she told them all about Carol and... Carol was not only alive and doing great, but she was estranged from the family and living in Florida. So he is doing a memorial service for a very alive person that is living in Florida. And he is like, how did I get this so wrong? And now the reason I tell this story is one, because it's amazing, but two, because I think for some of us, we do this with Jesus. And you're like, what do you mean? We do a memorial, the wrong memorial service for Jesus. No, here's what I mean. I think when it comes to following Jesus, there's times, whether it be the way you were raised, whether it be these ideas that we created about who he is, where we come to Jesus about who he is, and I wonder if either another Christian who has been following him longer or Jesus himself would be like, who are you talking about? Right, like we might come to Jesus and be like, well, God, I just, I know you just don't want me to have any fun, and you just want me to suffer, and that's what good Christians do, we just suffer, and, and we make our lives no fun so that we can get to heaven, and, and that's what this whole life is about, just ridding ourselves of as much joy and fun as possible, and Jesus is like, I'm sorry, who are you talking about? And see, we have these moments on our faith journey where we're following God and we, we think we have the right idea about God and you either come into a contact with another Christian who's like, uh, sorry, I don't, I don't actually think that's who Jesus is. Or maybe you're praying and as you follow him longer, Jesus is like, I'm not sure you have me right. And the reason I tell you that is because we're gonna read a story in the book of Mark chapter 10 and it's about this guy who comes to Jesus and he thinks he has Jesus nailed. He thinks he has him pegged perfectly. And Jesus is sitting there going like, I'm sorry, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't think you have the right guy. And so he starts challenging this man that is known as the rich young ruler in scripture. He starts challenging his ideas of Jesus. So uh, I, the, if you guys have your Bibles, I personally like reading out of a physical Bible. So if you have those here today and you wanna read out of uh, Mark chapter 10 with me, it's also gonna be up here on the screen. Uh, Mark chapter 10, and we are gonna be in verse 17. And this story is stories, the rich and the kingdom of God. And it says, as Jesus started on his way, he ran up and on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question. Jesus then looks back at him and says, why do you call me good? That's an important, important distinction Jesus asked right there. He's, Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, and you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud or, and honor your father and mother. So Jesus is stopping this guy before he gets any further into his questions. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is more focused on the first part of what this guy says, good teacher. Now this word good, In the bible it didn't just mean like the word below great it wasn't like our english word of good where you're like yeah that's pretty good or that is well or nice or good effort it was this word that was defined as perfection good meant like complete or whole or perfect it was actually they would liken it to this idea of set apart which was this word established for only god that's why he responds to him and he says no one is good except god alone so jesus is baiting this guy he's like are you calling me the God teacher? Are you claiming that I am equal with God? And so he stops this guy in his tracks and he's like, before we go any further, I want to know if you think that I am God. Because that's gonna be important to the rest of their interaction. Then continuing in verse 20, teacher, so this guy's like, "I, I don't know where I stand with you, instantly drops the good. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept as a, since I was a boy. So Jesus says, just follow all the commandments. And the guy's like, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm keeping them all. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now this seems pretty intense, does it not? Like you're having this interaction with Jesus and you're just trying to follow him and this guy starts off on a good path. It seems like he's doing everything right. He comes to Jesus in what seems like a humble way. He's trying to follow him. He's trying to pursue after him. He's asking questions. And Jesus is like, "Mm, I don't know if that's cutting it. Sell everything you have. And when you read this story, you're like, whoa, Jesus, like he's off the gas pedal a little bit, man. Like this dude, he's just trying to follow you and you went pretty intense on him real fast. And, and, I, and I look at this story and I'm like, God, that seems like he's asking a lot. And then, and then this is what he responds to the disciples. He says, at this, the man's fa- face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. They were shocked too. They're like, dude, this is crazy. I can't believe what he's asking. But Jesus again said, children, how hard is it for the for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, it is easier for a camel, this big animal, to go through the eye of a needle, this tiny space, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, who then can be saved? How is this possible? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you, And Jesus said, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or child or field for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come to eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So what's the point of this story? Why did I just tell you guys this? I told you this guy has Jesus wrong, but let's color this in a little bit. See, this guy, it seems like he starts off the right way. He comes to Jesus in a show of humility. He runs up to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So that seems like he's got something going for him. He approaches with humility. He's asking the right questions. It's, he's also got potential in following the kingdom of God. And according to Jesus' mission, this guy's got potential. I mean, he is young, wealthy, and powerful. I've only got one of those three and I'm growing out of it. And so Jesus is sitting here interacting with this guy. And much like Jesus will do with each and every one of us, much like he does with this rich young ruler, Jesus will cut through our facade. He'll cut through the show that we put up. And he goes, I want to get to the issue that's actually going on in your heart. Jesus isn't impressed with his show of wealth, of power, of his following of the commandments. And see, Jesus wants to deal with the bottom line. He wants to deal with the issue in this guy's heart. He wants to deal with his pride and so when this guy comes and he tries to flatter jesus jesus isn't just in return gonna be like wow thank you so much and flatter this guy's ego he's not just gonna say great job man no he cuts through what's actually going on and see sometimes i feel like i get this guy like i feel like i get the rich young ruler not because i'm like i'm not a ruler i'm not rich anything like that but i understand what he is saying to jesus he is giving jesus the idea of like hey You'd, it would be good for you if I was on your team. And I think this sometimes, like I don't like to admit this out loud except for now, but I, a lot of times I think I'm like, man, I'm young, I'm charismatic, I'm a youth pastor here. People tell me I'm, I'm a natural leader, you know, I'm a good dad, I'm a good husband. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but like I CrossFit, I just don't like to talk about it as much as Eli does, but like, you know, like I work out, I'm confident, I have good discernment, I set a good example for others and I'm like, man, uh, you know, and on top of all that, I'm just a real humble guy. Like, it's just, I just am out, I'm flowing with humility. I'm not sure why that's funny. Um, but, and, and you might be sitting there being like, it's a little uncomfortable to hear you talk about yourself. You know, like, talk yourselves up. And we do this. We don't like to talk, about, talk ourselves up in front of other people, but we might have these moments where we're like, Jesus, you're just so lucky I said yes to following you. Like, you know the the work I'm doing and having me on your team just really must be a blessing. And so I get this guy a little bit, but I don't think Jesus feels the same way. I don't think Jesus is sitting there like, yes, we were doomed until you came along, rich young ruler. Thank you, now I can start spreading the gospel message now that you came here. No, instead Jesus does the exact opposite and he says, I need to challenge you. I need to change your heart before you're ready to follow me. I need to get rid of your wealth and your status before you follow me. And the rich young ruler's like, I'm sorry, I thought that's why I was a good asset. And see, I think this is what Jesus does for me. A lot of the things that I use to seek praise for myself, a lot of the things that I'm like, man, this is what's gonna make me great to be on Jesus' team, that's the stuff that Jesus wants to challenge in me and change in me before he's ready to have me serve as a part of his kingdom. And so so Jesus is asking this guy, he's saying, Do you see me as God? Because I want to change your entire life. I'm gonna ask something very bold of you, but you're not going to be able to see that and you're not gonna be able to see past your own wealth and status if you don't see me as God. And so Jesus wants to know something first from the rich young ruler, and that's if he's all in. And so that's our first fill in the blank. The first thing that we can misunderstand about Jesus is that Jesus wants complete surrender. When it comes to following Jesus, he wants complete surrender. And for me in my life, this is somewhere where I can get Jesus wrong, where I have reasons why I haven't completely surrendered to God. And there's areas that I'm unwilling to surrender, but I think like, I'm like, no, 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 it's cool. Like God understands. God gets it. He doesn't need complete surrender in this area. And I wonder if I had a conversation with God, if he'd be like, again, who are you talking about? I'm a God that wants you to be all in. I want every part of you. And it might look like this for you guys. For me, it's, God, I'm trying the best I can in my life to follow you. I know I'm a human and I know I mess up, but I really feel like I have surrendered every area of my life to you, except for my need for praise. And, and look, I know I do a lot of things so that I can get attention from other people and I platform myself so that I get recognition, but it just makes me more confident and it makes me a better leader. You get it, right? Or maybe for you, it's, God, I follow you in every way. I mean, I'm loving and I'm generous and, and I, I'm gonna surrender my life to you in every area except for my sexuality. Like me, me and my girlfriend, we just, we can't get married right now um, and living together just makes so much financial sense. But we're gonna get married and, and you get it, right? Or maybe it's, God, I serve at church and I raise my kids right and I invite people to church, but you know, just fudging the numbers or lying a little bit in business, it's just, it's how you get ahead in this world. And I'm even gonna tide the prophet. I mean, you get it, right, God? Or maybe it's, God, I'm kind and I'm loving to everyone in my life, but, but except for that person, they just hurt me too bad. I just couldn't forgive what they did to me. You get it, right? Or maybe it's, you know, God, I, I know, I know all the stuff you say about confession, but if I just, if I confess this person in my life, that would just hurt them too deep. You get it, right? Or I, this one is all too true for me. God, I, I just, and this one, I don't even, sometimes I don't even know if it's a sin, but more just an invitation of something God has for me. And I just look and I'm like, God, I just, have such a busy schedule right now. I mean, I've, I, I have a newborn at home and I've got three young kids and I'm constantly meeting with other people and running church events and man, my life is just so busy and I'm so tired and I just, I just don't really have time for you right now. Uh, but everything I do is for you. You get it, right? And the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of times when I'm interacting with Jesus, I don't know that he gets it. I don't know that he's just cool with like, yeah, man, just, just don't obey that area. For everyone else, I, I'm gonna ask them to obey in this area, but you, like, we're good. And any of you who have kids, you know this, right? Like that that partial obedience is not obedience at all. Like if I tell my, my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, she always, like just like most of us, obsessed with treats. She's like, can I have a cookie before bed? And I'm like, no, you can't have any cookies before bed. And if she goes and grabs one, I'm not gonna be like, well, you know, she just took one, so that's still listening. No, it's, it's I understand that it's complete obedience is listening to what I said, not just being like, well, you mostly followed, so, you know, good job. Here's a gold star, I'm proud of you. And there's a story in the Old Testament of this person who gives partial obedience to God. It's uh, King Saul, he's the first king of Israel. And this story is found in 1 Samuel 15, and God calls Saul, the king of Israel, to completely wipe out this nation called the Amalekites. Now, I know that seems a little bit intense, but the reason is the Amalekites were like this wicked nation that was constantly murdering and stealing from and pillaging, and they were enslaving their women and their children, and they were just like oppressing Israel in the harshest of ways. And they were also, like, any anytime the Israelites were surrounded with them, they were worshiping their gods. And so this nation was just destroying Israel. And so God goes, wipe them out completely because I don't want my people to be oppressed and I don't want them walking away from me. And this is the command that God gives to King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. And starting in verse 7, it says, then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Hilva to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and his people totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the fattened calves and the lambs and everything that was good. They were unwilling, I think that's an important word, they were unwilling to destroy completely everything that was despised and weak, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So they were unwilling to completely obey God's command, but they did most of it. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up to meet with Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to uh, Carmel and there he has set up a mountain in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel, so he goes out to find King Saul, and when he found him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions." So not only does he think that he obeyed completely, he's boasting about it to the Lord's prophet. He's like, I did it. I completely carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel replied, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ear? And what is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers, so he puts the blame on someone else. He's like, oh, right. Okay, the soldiers they brought them from the Amalekites. They were spread out. The be- they spared the best of the sheep and cattle and sacrificed to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said last night. Tell me, Saul said. Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And this is Samuel's response. But I did obey the Lord. And I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. I even brought back Agag, their king. And the soldiers, again, not me, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of it was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Look, it's a good thing. We, we didn't listen because we were gonna use this as sacrifice. Don't you understand? This is a good thing. You get it, right? But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. And... See, Jesus doesn't want your partial obedience. He wants complete surrender from you. This story illustrates that God wants his people to be all in. And so if you're sitting there and you're picturing yourself, just imagine you being the rich young ruler and Jesus walking up to you and having this conversation with you. Imagine him sitting there. What is the go and sell everything and follow me? What is that proverbially for you? What is the sell everything that Jesus would ask of you? because I know for me, it might might be uh, my ego, my desire to get recognition for myself, how I cling to a busy schedule to feel important. And these are the things that I feel like sometimes God wants me to surrender so that I can be completely bought into him. And now I know some of you are sitting here and you're like, God, man, I did the right thing. It is 4th of July weekend and I am here at church. Okay, everyone else? They're at their cabins and I'm here. But see, this is why I don't come to church because you guys just, you guys do your guiltings and you come in and you make me feel bad and I'm just supposed supposed to be eating a popsicle and instead you're telling me about how I'm not fully following God. And I understand that, I really do. But I'm, but I'm not up here today to be like, I'm telling you sometimes we misunderstand God in this way because I want you to feel guilty. The reason I'm telling you that, and what really makes sense of the first fill in the blank is this second thing, which is whenever Jesus asks something from you, it's because he has something better for you. Whenever Jesus asks something from you, it's because he has something better for you. See, when the story says, the rich young ruler walked away sad. Now, why do you think he was sad? I know the story tells us because he had great wealth, but why was he sad about his wealth? Why wasn't he, when Jesus said, go and sell everything and follow follow me, why wasn't he like, oh boy, I've been looking for a reason to go sell all my possessions. I've been looking for a reason to choose poverty. So glad you finally gave me an out. See, I think that the reason that this man walked away sad is because he believed that when Jesus was asking him to sacrifice everything, that his life wasn't gonna be more full but less. He didn't think that selling everything was gonna to lead to blessings. He thought it was going to lead to suffering. And I think a lot of us think this same thing. Like how would how would not having everything at your fingertips, power and money, how would how would giving that away be better for us? but see God doesn't think in the same way human beings do in the same way I don't think in the same way my three-year-old does that when she asks for a popsicle or a cookie before bed I tell her no because I want her to sleep well I don't want her to scream at night I don't want her to get bad sleep and be fussy the next day and see I say this because I love her but in her, in her little three-year-old eyes she's like you just want to take all the joy out of my life you just really must hate me dad and so she screams and she yells at me. And sometimes I put through with it, but I'm okay with sometimes her throwing a fit as long as she still chooses to obey. I'm not asking for her to completely understand, but I want her to eventually see, and it might not take place until years down the road that the reason I do not let her have treats before bed is because I care about her, because I love her, and I actually want her to have the most full life possible. But in her little three-year-old brain, I'm just the killer of joy in our family. Like, that is my role. And this is what happens with God is I think a lot of us, we look at at our lives with the original ruler and God says, I want complete surrender in this area of your life. And you're like, "You you just wanna see if I can be some perfect follower of Christ, don't you? You just want me to suffer. And again, it's that conversation with Jesus where he's like, who are you talking about? I want so much for you. I want to give you blessings in your life. And the reason that God asked the rich young ruler to go and sell his wealth is not because he wanted to take a bunch of things from him. Yes, he wanted to, he wanted to get what was stopping the blessings in this man's life out of the way. See, the, the wealth is what was blocking him from fully surrendering to Jesus, from completely seeing him, and he needed to remove that in order so that the guy could fully be with Jesus in his presence. And Jesus is like, there's nothing better than that. Jesus asked this man to be all bought in to sell his possessions because it was getting in the way of him being in the presence of God. The wealth was getting in the way of his humility so that he could have good relationships with other people. It was getting in the way of his dependence on God. He was completely self-reliant and felt like he didn't need him. And there's nothing better than depending on Jesus as your savior. It was getting in the way of of him living as one of the disciples, of of being someone that followed in the footsteps of Jesus, of the joy of service and that sacrificial love that he got to experience. It was getting in the way of the peace that comes from trusting in the only everlasting thing. See, his money was fleeting, but Jesus is something that you can depend on that will last you for all eternity. And it says that Jesus loved the, the rich young ruler. And he, he said this, and it says this because he intended blessings for this man. Not, he didn't wanna spite him. He didn't just like, ah, rich people really bug me. I'm gonna get under his skin. No, he cared about this guy so much that he's like, I'm not just gonna be another person that flatters your ego. And be like, wow, you're so impressive. I'm so lucky to to be in your presence. Instead, Jesus is like, I need to cut through the crap to get at what's going on in your heart so that I can change that so you can be fully surrendered for me, so you can experience my blessings. And what is that thing for you? What is that wealth, quote unquote wealth? Maybe it is actually wealth for you, but maybe it's something else. This thing that is getting in the way of the presence of God in your life that is something that is blocking the one who wants to bring you love, who wants to bring you joy, who wants to bring you peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control of your life. Yes, those are the fruits of the Spirit, and that's what God wants to bring into your life. He wants to give you that in abundance. But when we sit there a lot of times, and I'm not saying this for everyone, but when I wake up in the mornings, I don't sit like, man, what can I do to get more love in my life today? What can I do to get more joy and peace in my life today? No, a lot of times I wake up and go, how can I get ahead? How can I be successful? How can I get more power? How can I get more money? And those are the things I wake up thinking about. And Jesus says, let me trade you because power is gonna lead you to brokenness. But if you follow me, I will give you peace. I will give you contentment. I will give you purpose. And see, I think the the reason a lot of us are like, church, complete surrender, guilt. You guys do this just because you want us to have no fun. No, it's because I know in my life that I have missed out on so much of God's blessing because I wanna do things my own way. And, And that's really the reason I don't want you guys to be in your own way. So what do you do? You're like, okay, fine. I believe you. Maybe I should completely surrender to God every area of my life. What's next? Simple. Not easy to do, but uh, simple to understand. Examine your life for areas of partial obedience and try complete surrender. Examine areas of your life where you have partial obedience and try complete surrender. It's not gonna be perfect. It's gonna be messy. There's gonna be times where we struggle. There's gonna be issues in your life or things in your life that you're gonna hold on to tighter that you're like, really don't wanna let this one go. But surrender to God is going to give the blessing of God in your life. It's going to produce that blessing of God in your life. There's um, some speculation about who the rich young ruler is. Now, the rich young ruler, he's this character that's not named in Scripture. He's just given a title as the rich young ruler. But there's some speculation by biblical scholars as to who this guy might be. Some people think it actually could be John Mark, the person who authored the book of Mark they think that it, this might have been him others think that it could have been Joseph of Arimathea the person that bought the tomb uh, where Jesus was laid now again all of this is speculation so I'm not gonna I'm going out on a limb here don't say this isn't like biblical truth and I'm not just saying this so you can like win trivia night okay this is like I I think this has a cool implication in the story if this is true I don't know if it is but I think there is some evidence to support and I like to think of what if it is actually John Mark I, I read an article this week and there's some good evidence to support that. I, again, don't know if it's true. But if it is actually John Mark, the writer of this book, and he actually did choose, like after going home and thinking about it and dwelling on it, he chose complete surrender. He chose to sell everything. And he's like, you know what, God? I am completely all bought in. He sold all his possessions. and He came back and he followed God. Maybe the reason that he was sad was not because he didn't want to follow God, but sad because he knew he was going to sell his wealth and was like, that's gonna be a bummer. But again, I know it's speculation, but if it's true, it means that yes, he walked away sad, but my promise to you is this, that a guy who got to walk alongside Paul in the spreading of the gospel, who got to write a part of the gospel, that if you got to sit down with him and this actually was the person in that story, that he wouldn't have any regret that I promise you that when he's living on the road and in constant in danger of being beaten and punished and probably put in jail cells, that if this actually is this character in scripture, and again, we don't know, but if it is, that I promise if you sat there with him, he's probably not like in his jail cell like, just wish I could go back to being rich and wealthy and powerful and it seems like that that might be the case like i'm sure the comfort and not having to be in prisons sounds nice but i promise you he didn't have regret in selling out his life in complete surrender for the gospel and i find it ironic that in every area of my life where i choose partial obedience i'm like i look back on that area of my life and i'm like i wish i could take that back but every area of my life where i chose complete surrender even when i didn't fully understand why god wanted me to surrender a certain area of my life I couldn't be more glad that I did. And I know that I'm what gets in the way of what God has for me more than anything else in my life. It's me, I have no one else to blame, but myself for constantly being a blockade between the blessings God is trying to give to me in my life. And I, there's a lot of you in here and I don't know each and every one of your stories. You got a lot of people that go to this church we don't know every single person's story in here. And I'm sure what you're doing in your life, you're like, it, this makes sense to me right now. And I'm not saying that facetiously, like it, it actually, you're like, no, I, we, human beings, we do stuff because it seems logical, it seems good. And you're like, I just, if God's asking me to do something different, I just, that doesn't make complete sense to me. But I'm just, I'm asking you to believe me and I, I'm asking me to believe myself, honestly. Because when God asks something from you, it is because he has something much better for you. It's because he has blessings that he wants to give you. It's because he wants to fill your life with more of him, with more of his love and his joy and his peace and his kindness. And if you don't believe me, just try it. And look, I'm not asking you to trust this far off dictator. Like God is not this. he's not just like, surrender everything because I said so. He's not like some mean principal in the sky who's like, I just, I want people to have no fun and there'll be no joy on my earth for people that claim to be my followers. No, you get to put your trust in a creator, in a father who, it says he knit you together in your mother's womb, who cares far more about your well-being than you ever could yourself. And so he's not asking you complete surrender because he's like, I'm just gonna ruin their lives. He's asking you complete surrender because he knows how your life is best lived. And I know, I already said this, but I know my three-year-old girl won't understand everything I tell her. But I do everything I do for her because I want her to grow, because I want her to benefit, because I want her to succeed. And I am a broken, imperfect father who's gonna make a lot of mistakes along the way. And Jesus is a perfect, loving father who makes no mistakes when he asks for your surrender and your obedience. And I know that trusting him can be painful and difficult, It might cost you, whether it be a life adjustment, missing out on financial gain, forgiving someone you don't wanna forgive. But believe me that there's a God who wants you to have the fullest life possible. And I don't want you guys to miss out on that. And here's the beautiful truth, is that you don't have a God that commands you and looks away. You have God that said, you know what? I know this is gonna be difficult, so I'm gonna lead by example. Jesus himself was willing to surrender his deity and take your place so that he could be with you, so that he could have connection with you, and he deemed that more important than sitting in his rightful place on the throne. And even when he got to that point of testing, where he wanted to do things his own way, where he didn't want to go to the cross, where he asked God, please don't make me do this, he said, you know what? God, I know you have something better, so not my way, but yours. And he did that because he wanted connection and relationship with you. And so when I'm asking you to completely surrender, it's not to someone who could care less about you and doesn't see the difficulty that you're going through in making these decisions, it's about a close personal God who wants to be in close connection and relationship with you. And when he asks you to do that same thing that he did, which is surrender, it's because he wants you to experience him, his freedom, his grace, his love, and nothing in your life could be better than that. And so if you're here today and you're having a hard time trusting God, I'm not saying jump all in right now. I'm not saying, well, it's either today or never. But what I am saying is start asking those questions. And if you're still hesitant, find someone who looks like they've been following Jesus a long time in here and grab them after service. You're like, I don't know you, but just tell me about a time in your life where surrendering to God when it didn't make sense, worked out for you because I promise you, any Christian who's been walking with Jesus a long time has a story about where when they finally submitted to God's way, they found blessings that they didn't understand before. But if you are ready and you wanna surrender to God, then pray this prayer with me. Dear God, God, we've, we've made the mistake of trying to do this life on our own, of trying to lead our own destiny and do things for us in our own way. But God, I'm willing to waste what this world has to offer because every time I chased it, I feel regret and emptiness. But God, every time I'm following after you, I feel fullness and acceptance and purpose. So God, we're sorry for the way that we've chosen to do things our own way. We're sorry for we've messed up, where we've missed the mark, where we've sinned and gone against your way. And we're sorry for when we're gonna do that again in the future. But we just ask that you would take complete control of our life that each day we would wake up and give you full control, complete surrender, abandon to whatever you have for our lives. We love you and we praise things in your name. Amen.